to share with you from the life of Abram the warfare of the believer. And tonight I know that every one of you has a story to tell about uh, warfare. All of you have some battle scars, no doubt. But uh, I want us to see the life of Abram because there is in every believer the need to enter into spiritual warfare. And we find in his life a good example for how we are to engage in the conflicts that come into our life. And so we're going to read first in Genesis, and we're going to go to 1 Timothy. Hope you've had enough time to find 1 Timothy there. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 12. At, at Beginning at Genesis 14, verse 11. Now they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their food supply and departed. They also took Lot, Abram's nephew, and his possessions and departed, for he was looking, part he was living in Sodom. Then a fugitive came and told Abram the Hebrew. Now he was living by the oaks of Mamre at, uh, of the Amorite, brother of Eshcol, the son of Aner, and these were allies with Abram. And Abram heard that his relative had been taken captive, and he led out his trained men, born in his house, 318, and went to pursue as far as Dan. And he divided his forces against them by night, he and his servants, and defeated them, and pursued them as far as Hobah, which is in the north of Damascus. And he brought back all the goods, and also brought back his relative Lot with his possessions, and also the women and the people. And then 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called. And you made a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Let's say that together tonight. Fight the good fight of faith and take hold of eternal life. Father, we pray tonight that you will speak through your word to us. Let it become rhema. Let it become life-giving as we hear it. I pray tonight that you would anoint my lips of clay to teach the word of God, and I pray that you anoint this congregation to hear and receive that word as seed sown into the fertile soil of their hearts. Awaken in us the warrior spirit that we might fight this good fight of faith. We ask that in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're talking about Abram, and Abram, if you think about Abram, you think about an old man. Uh, he was already in his 70s when God called him. How many of you that's, know that's a little late to start? But with God, it's never too late. Say amen, somebody. If you're closer to 70 than you were to 50, you should say amen right there, all right? Um, it's never too late to start. Abram started about 75, and he walked with God 100 years, so he died 175. So, But generally, when we think of Abram, we think of an old man, because he was already in his old age. He was 100 when he had Isaac, the child of promise, and Another of the traits we think of when we think of Abram is that he was a peace, peaceful man, a peacemaker in a sense. 
But tonight we have before us a scene in the life of Abram in which he is a man of war. And although an old man, he has to take a, a, a step toward conflict, toward battle. And the, the fact is this, that in our life, whether we like it or not, there are always going to be opportunities for conflict. Anything that you do for God is going to require some conflict. When you wake up in the morning and decide that you're going to live for God, there is an opposing spirit that's going to come against you to bring conflict and battle into your life. If you, if you know that's true, say amen. Abraham, esta noche vemos una escena de su vida que aunque quizás siempre cuando pensamos de él pensamos en un anciano, un viejito ya acabado, pero la realidad es que su vida... Fue vivida en, en sus uh, años de, de viejez y también cuando pensamos en Abraham pensamos en un hombre pacífico. Pero esta noche la escena del, delante de nosotros es una escena, escena de guerra. Uh, this conflict in which Abraham finds himself is the result of other people's problems. Say other people's problems. How many of you know it's best to stay out of other people's problems? Yeah, you know, uh, es bueno no meternos en los problemas de otros. In fact, I think there would be no conflict in the world if we would just all stick to not, uh, not getting involved with other people's problems. Well, there's other people's problems in this chapter. The Bible said that the kings um, were fighting. There was a war among the nations. In fact, Two of the, of the mighty power forces of the time were the Chaldees and the Persians. And they had, as it were, a, 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 a series of kings under their thumb. And those kings had to pay tributes to them and homage to them in order to keep the peace. And when those kings decide not to pay tribute, then war came into their territory. And so in this chapter, in chapter 13, we see this, this conflict is raging between these political systems and there is this conflict that is going on and one of the cities that is affected is the city of Sodom, the same city that you and I all know about when we think about Sodom and Gomorrah. This was the place that Lot, Abram's nephew, had gone to live. We saw last week how Lot being a type of the flesh and a man really led by the carnal nature, he first saw Sodom and then he got a little closer. And by, by this point in the chapter, we see him living there. And in the midst of the battles that were going on around these, uh, these political systems, in the midst of these kings, the city of Sodom was sacked by a foreign power and they took all of the goods, all of the food, all of the riches, and some of the people... Of Sodom. En esta escena de la vida de Abraham vemos que algunos reyes de una tierra foránea que están guerreando entre sí vienen en contra de la ciudad de Sodoma donde habita el sobrino de Lot, perdón, el sobrino de Abraham llamado Lot y se llevan, estas, estos reyes se llevan los bienes, las riquezas de aquella ciudad. Among the things that they took out of Sodom, they took Lot. Dentro de las personas que se llevaron de Sodoma, esos reyes se llevaron a Lot. And so now, Abram has a nephew who's been taken captive by a foreign power. Ahora Abraham tiene un sobrino 
que ha sido llevado cautivo por este, uh, esta, estas naciones en, en este problema. So Abram is now involved in other people's problems. Ahora Abraham está envuelto en los problemas de alguien más. Y él tiene una guerra delante de él. He has a battle in front of him that he didn't choose, that he didn't decide on, that he didn't wage, but that is nevertheless being waged against him. Él tiene una guerra que aunque él no la escogió, él no la decidió, no la buscó, ahora él tiene una guerra en su vida. How many of you have ever had a problem in your life that you didn't go looking for? You know, the problems we go looking for are bad enough, right? We don't need the other problems. But now Abram has in his life problems, situations that he didn't seek, that he didn't go after. And there are really three battles all of us are going to fight in this life. Hay tres batallas las cuales usted y yo vamos a pelear en esta vida. The Bible teaches us that we wage war, we're fighting a battle against the world, the flesh, and the devil. Say those three things with me. The world, the flesh, and the devil. You know, the, the first one, the world, it, it doesn't talk, it's not talking about the fact that we are waging a war against the planet Earth. It's not talking about the sphere that we live on. But it's talking about the system of the world. La primera guerra, la, la guerra con el mundo, es en contra de el sistema del mundo, no de esta tierra, uh, sino de el sistema de esta tierra, the, the culture of the world. And if you and I uh, are observant, we do notice that the world is a strong current. Uh, la cultura es una fuente fuerte la cual usted y yo tenemos que guerrear contra ella. Anybody in this room who's decided to live for God, the moment you decide to live for God, you turned around, you were walking with the world, with the system, and now you're walking against the flow of the, of the system. You're walking against the current. And so no one ought to expect that living the Christian life is going to be easy because it's a, it's a counterculture system. El ser cristiano es, es dar la vuelta de, a, a la cultura y caminar a, a lo contrario de lo que la cultura está haciendo. Entonces estamos caminando a lo contrario de la corriente y algunos prefieren ir con la corriente. Some prefer to go with the flow, just go with the current. But if you're going to live for God, you're going to have to walk against the flow. Para vivir con Dios tienes que caminar en contra de la corriente. And so Ephesians chapter 2 verse 2 it says, Wherein in the past you walked according to the course of this world, of this system, according to the prince of the power of the air and the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. Ephesians 2 nos dice que antes caminábamos en el curso o la corriente de este mundo. Sometimes people say, Pastor Isaac, why does it have to be so hard? Why does being a Christian, why does living a godly life have to be so hard? Well, it's not so much that it has to be so hard, but the difference is, uh, and the reason they ask that is because they feel like when they were living in sin, they didn't have to struggle. Well, they were going with the current. They were going with the flow. And you, you were drowning. And you were going with the flow, and there was, there was no resistance, so it seemed easy. But in order to not drown, 
You had to go against the current. And that's why it seems hard, because you're going against the system. And that system is in the movies, it's in the media, it's in magazines, it's in books, it's in education, it's in your professor's mouth in the university. It's in every place you go, the system is there. The system is in the lives of your un, uh, unborn again friends. It's in the mouth of your counselors and advisors who are not uh, going by the word of God. The system is there and you have to decide to war against it. The next thing is not, not just the world but the flesh. Lo siguiente lo cual tengo que guerrear es la carne. The flesh is that inner part of us that is bent towards sin. La carne es la parte de nuestro ser el cual está doblado hacia el pecado. When God made us, he made us perfect. There was no sin nature. Cuando Dios nos creó, nos creó con perfección. No había naturaleza pecaminosa. It's like a brand new bicycle. The wheels are perfect and they are mounted right and they are balanced and and that perfect, balanced man could, could, could walk straight down the path of righteousness with no problem. When sin came into the world, it's like something bent the, the, um, the wheel on that bicycle. And now every time you get on that bike, it just kind of jerks to the side. That's what sin does. It always pulls. The sin nature pulls you toward the flesh. It pulls you towards sin. La naturaleza pecaminosa siempre nos está jalando hacia el pecado. Está jalando así a la, a la inmundicia, a la impureza. Entonces hay que guerrear contra eso. So we have to war against that. We have to consciously, actively walk against the tide or against the pull of our own flesh. Say amen, somebody. Tenemos que caminar en contra de el, el, uh, lo que está estirando nuestra carne. And that's why we read about this in, in uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. It says, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers the, to abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Dice Primera de Pedro 2.11 Amados como uh, peregrinos y extranjeros les amonesto a uh, uh, guardarse de la naturaleza pecaminosa la cual hace guerra contra tu espíritu. Now listen, if you don't know that there is a war going on in your flesh, this war is inside of you, all right? So far we haven't even heard about the devil. All that you're dealing with right now is what's around you and inside of you. That's battle enough right there. La batalla la cual hemos hablado hasta este punto no se trata del diablo todavía. If there was no devil, listen, if there was no devil for you to blame, you would still have yourself to worry about. Pastor, change the channel already. This, this sermon is going somewhere I don't want to go. Si no hubiera el diablo... Tienes, contigo tienes para bastarte mucho tiempo. Tienes que batallar contra esta naturaleza del pecado. And so, while you were living without Christ, you didn't even know about the sin nature, let alone have a desire to fight against it, let alone the power to fight against it. When you became a believer, now you know about the sin nature. You know that it's warring against your soul and you also have the power of the Spirit to fight against the nature of sin. Amen. 
And so there is now a, a weapon in your hand. Now the third thing is the devil. Lo tercero ahora es el diablo. Now we always like to blame the devil, right? Siempre nos gusta ponerle la culpa al diablo, echarle la culpa al diablo. The devil made me do it. El diablo me hizo hacerlo. The devil broke my dryer. El diablo me quebró la máquina. The devil, you know, messed up my radiator. El diablo me, me uh, hizo algo al carro. See, all those things happen because things break down. All right? The devil might use it to his advantage. But most of the time, the devil doesn't have time to deal with you. He can only be in one place at once. All right? So what he's, what he's using then is the system of the world. And that system entices the flesh. And so the devil becomes a problem. We read about this in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. It says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So while, while you may never run into the devil, you're going to meet some demons along the way, and you're going to meet a world system that is contrary to the word of God, and contrary to the purpose of God in your life. And what we need to see in this text is that we're in a war against the world, the flesh, and the devil. And he says our battle is not against flesh and blood. That means your problem, your battle is not with your husband, your wife, your son, your daughter, your boss, your cat, your dog, your, uh, your anybody. Your problem is a spiritual problem. El problema, la guerra en la cual usted y yo tenemos es contra principados y potestades del enemigo, del diablo, y estos principados conform, conformando el sistema del mundo hacen guerra con la ayuda de nuestra carne contra nuestra alma. Entonces todas estas fuerzas requieren que usted y yo estemos en una guerra espiritual. Y usted y yo tenemos que saber eso, estar anticipados de eso. Y saber que nuestro problema no es mi mamá, mi papá, mi padre, mi madre, mi esposa, esposo, mis hijos. El problema es espiritual. And listen, friends, if the devil can get you to fight your neighbor, you're not fighting him. If the devil can get you to fight your husband and your wife and your children, you're not fighting him. And so long as you're not fighting him, he's waging war and winning in that fight. So just like Abram, we're going to have to fight. Now, there's a decision there you have to make. Fight or no fight. Usted tiene que hacer la decisión. Me meto o no me meto. Voy a pelear o no voy a pelear. And the scripture really uh, doesn't give us a choice because we read in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12, what does it say? Fight the good fight. Say it with me. Fight the good fight. It doesn't say if you want to, you feel like it, you feel up to it. It says fight the good fight. Dice, pelea o milita. Es una orden. He's giving us an instruction. Fight. Tell your neighbor, fight. There are a lot of things that you don't, you shouldn't fight. All right? I just told you, don't fight your husband. Don't fight your wife. Don't fight your dog. Don't fight your children. But he does say there's something you do need to fight, and that's the good fight. Tenemos que pelear la buena batalla. Abram finds out Lot has been taken captive. 
he could say, serves him right, his problem, no skin off my nose, his yesterday's problem. Instead, he has to decide, am I going to get in this fight or not? Abraham ve que el Lord ha sido llevado cautivo y él tiene que decidir si me voy a meter a, esta, a este problema o no, si voy a guerrear o no. Y lo que vemos aquí es que dice la escritura que esta es una buena batalla. Pelea la buena batalla. Fight the good fight. Now that word good is important, so you should underline that in your Bible there. In, uh, if you have your Bible open to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12. Listen, why is it good? Is there such thing as a good fight? ¿Podrá haber una buena batalla? Well, what it means is that some fights have to be fought for good. Hay batallas que se tienen que pelear para lo bueno, para que gane lo bueno. Uh, when I was in high school, I remember reading a quote that said that all that is necessary for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. Una vez leí una cita que decía que todo lo necesario para que el mal Triunfe es que lo bueno haga nada. And so the, the order, the instruction is fight. Fight the good fight. Now this fight is good in three ways. First of all, it is praiseworthy. Primero, esta, esta palabra uh, buena eh, habla de una, una uh, pelea, una batalla que es digna de... Uh, Crédito, digno de, digno de adoración. This fight is praiseworthy, meaning that it is something that deserves a compliment. It is something that deserves to be cheered, to be uh, encouraged. There are a lot of things you and I can fight about that are not praiseworthy. Listen, when you're fighting about who burnt the toast and and uh, and you're fighting about who forgot to pay this bill. You're fighting about, uh, you know, uh, your dog came over to my yard and left some stuff on my grass. When you're fighting about all that stuff, it's not praiseworthy. But there are some fights that are praiseworthy. There are some fights when, when somebody stands up and says, I want to break the power of addiction in my life. I want to get free from uh, drugs. I want to get free from abuse. I want, to, I want to change the way I live in my life. I want my finances to be blessed. I'm going to start tithing. I'm going to start honoring God with my, with my relationships. I'm going to stop living like, like the, the world. When you do that, that deserves a applause. It deserves praise. And the Bible said there's a great cloud of witnesses in heaven that are saying, go. You got it. That's you. You're, you're headed the right direction. All right? So that's why it's praiseworthy because God himself is, is applauding you in the fight. God is giving you the voice of support. The second thing is that this fight is noble. It's a worthy fight. It is a... It is a, a an issue that is above the, the norm. Es una, una batalla noble. Requiere algo o es algo que es sobre la norma o sobre lo natural. Es algo digno delante de Dios. God considers your fight against the world, the flesh, and the devil to be praiseworthy and noble. Cuando usted 
corre en la batalla de la fe Cuando usted pelea en la batalla de la fe Dios lo digna, Dios los ve como algo noble You want to be, you want to do something good You want to do something noble Fight sin Fight the world, the flesh and the devil Ahí está la nobleza Where is nobility? It's right there When you rise up to, to come against the challenge and to challenge the system of this world and the, the, the system of the flesh and the devil. And listen, it's easier then at those moments to go with the flow. It's easier. In our culture, there are a lot of things it's just easy to be quiet about. We can be quiet about the issues of our day. We can be quiet about... Um, The, the issue of abortion. We can be quiet about the issue of drug use in our culture. We can be quiet about the issue of uh, divorce without cause. We can be quiet about the issues of homosexuality. We can be quiet about all of those things. But when we stand up and we challenge the culture by just declaring the word of the Lord, God says that is noble. It's praiseworthy. Even if men are throwing rotten tomatoes at you. God says... You are doing something that is honorable in his sight. And then finally, this word is that this, uh, this fight is good. It's profitable. Finalmente, esta, esta uh, palabra bien representa que esta guerra es aprovechosa. Tiene provecho. There is a benefit, a profit that is to be gained from it. And all of us have been part of unprofitable fights. We've all wasted time fighting over things that produce nothing. But God says when you challenge the world, the flesh, and the devil, you're going to find that it is profitable. You're going to find that it is a good fight. And the reason I want to challenge you with this tonight is because the enemy will come and tell you, you know, just go along. Just, just let it be. Just, just, uh, just be who you are. Don't worry about getting God to change this part of you, this part of your nature. You've got to decide, wait a minute, there is something to be gained by living by God's standards and by honoring God in the way that I live. Say amen, somebody. So say it with me, fight the good fight. And then he, he gives us a clue about what this means because he says, lay hold or take hold of eternal life. So fighting the fight is like grabbing on to something. Pelear la buena batalla es como agarrarte o poner tu mano fuerte sobre algo. And, and literally it means like someone that's being rescued out of the water. When someone's being rescued out of the water and they reach up and they grab with all of their might so they can be pulled out of that trouble they're in. God says, just like someone being rescued will cling onto the rescuer, God says, cling on to me. Cling on to the hope that I've given you. Lay hold of it. Cling to it. Uh, what are you clinging to? You're clinging to the eternal life. You're clinging to the gospel and the grace of God that has been made available to us in Jesus Christ. Can I just tell you tonight, if you feel like you're, le you're letting loose of Jesus, hold on. Hold on. The road might get bumpy, but hold on. Sometimes it might be a little scary, but hold on. And I think sometimes God lets us Let's us go down the bumpy road just so we'll hold on a little bit. I heard, I heard uh, 
one pastor say that when he was when he was dating his soon to be wife or would be wife that she was she was kind of cold about the relationship and he said so I decided that I would take her to the theme park and he took her to the tallest roller coaster and when they were coming down that roller coaster she clung to him he said that warmed things up God sometimes says I've got to put you on a little roller coaster so you can cling hold on don't let, don't let this thing cool off or don't let there be distance between you and God. Fight the good fight. Lay hold. Grab on to eternal life. In another place, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3, the Bible says it calls a believer a good soldier. En otra parte, la Biblia le llama al creyente un buen soldado, a competent soldier. Un, un soldado que es uh, entrenado, está entrenado, es competente para poder hacer y militar conforme uh, lo requerido de él. It is a soldier who has been trained and is competent to fight according to the battle that is going to be brought into his life. And so you and I have to live with this in mind. The Christian life is going to require a fight. I'm going to have to know that there's an enemy out there who's trying to destroy my faith. And he's trying to destroy my confidence in God and trying to destroy my trust in God and trying to destroy my love for my spouse or my family. He's trying to destroy my connection to my church. And all of these things we have to wrestle against. We have to war against them. And so we have to see what what Abraham does in here because he gives us a good sampling of how it is that we enter into this battle of the believer. All right, so let's go back to Genesis chapter 14. Genesis capítulo 14. And it says that they took, Sodom, they took a Lot out of Sodom in verse 11 and 12. And in verse 13, the scripture says, Then a fugitive came and told Abram, the Hebrew. Now I want you to notice right there a couple of things just as we kind of dissect this passage. First of all, we see that a fugitive, one of the people that was taken from Sodom managed to escape. Now if you remember what the people of Sodom were like, what were they like? They were sinful. So sinful that in a couple of chapters they're going to be destroyed. All right? Now, I want you to notice this because right here, right here, Sodom is being given a chance to repent. They're getting connected to Abram. And that connection to Abram is significant because apparently they reject that later. This, this fugitive then comes to Abram. He's just like the, the rest of Sodom. He's not better or worse than any of them. But what I want you to see in that is that generally when, when people get into trouble, no matter if, they're, if they are against you or not, when there's trouble, people know who to go to. Say amen, somebody. Who did they go to? The fugitive went to Abram the Hebrew. 
Aquí vemos que uno de los que ha uh, sido, uh, ha escapado de la mano de estos reyes es Sodamita. Él viene y busca a Abraham. Y este hombre escapado es igual pecaminoso como los demás, igual de rebelde como los demás. Pero aquí vemos que él viene a buscar al hombre de Dios, viene a buscar a Abraham. El hebreo y esa es la realidad que cuando vienen los problemas a otra gente ellos saben a quien buscar Listen, do your friends know that they can go to you in trouble? If, if somebody needed prayer do they know that they can come to you? Si alguien necesita oración puede venir con usted People in our lives ought to know. This is the first thing we see in Abram is he had a testimony of being with God. He had a testimony of being a man who had a, a connection to God. That's the kind of testimony I want to have. Ese es el testimonio que yo quiero tener. Que, que la gente sepa que yo tengo conexión con Dios. And that ought to be our goal, to be known by God and for people to know that there's a connection. That's why people need to know uh, uh, about your faith and they need to know that they can count on your faith. They might not believe you right now. You're testifying to them. You're witnessing to them. You're telling them everything you know. And they're like, whatever. All they hear is like Charlie Brown's parents. Wah, 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 wah. But when trouble comes, it's like they know who to look for. They don't go to the... They don't go to their friends. They go to the guy that they were criticizing because they know there's a connection here to a power source that they don't have. And he comes to Abram the Hebrew. Now, this is the first time in the Bible that we hear the word Hebrew. That's significant because every time something is mentioned for the first time in the Bible, that's significant. But the word Hebrew, it literally means the crosser, someone who has come from beyond. Aquí es la primera vez en la Biblia que vemos la palabra hebreo. Y un hebreo es una persona que ha cruzado, que ha venido del otro lado. And so what we know by now is that Abram has a, a reputation. He has a testimony of having walked with God. But he also has a testimony of having crossed some things. He has a testimony of having come from one side to the other. Uh, lo que vemos aquí es que Abraham tiene un testimonio de tener acceso y conexión con Dios Pero también vemos que tiene un testimonio de haber cruzado algunas cosas Él ha cruzado algunos ríos And really the literal aspect of it is that Abraham crossed from Ur of the Chaldees into Canaan So that is why he's the crosser But really, you're going to see this in the spiritual life that all along the way, you're going to come up against rivers. You're going to come to moments where you're going to have to cross over. Moments when you're going to have to decide, do I stay in what I know or do I go over and do what I don't know? Abram had to make that decision and you, are, you and I have to make that decision a lot of times. And listen, there are places, there are levels, there are phases of our Christian life 
where we can get comfortable and we can say, this is what I know. I'm happy here. I'm blessed here. I understand this place. And God puts a river in front of us and says, do you want to come over to the other side? Do you want to go a little deeper? Do you want to climb a little higher? Do you want to know a little more? And then you say, but Lord, there's a really dangerous river right there. And some people would rather stay in their comfort zone. Stay in the place of safety where they, where they could predict everything. But Abram made a decision. I'm going to cross over. I'm going to cross over. I don't know uh, what these rivers are because all of them for all of us are different. But there are some major rivers all of us have to cross. The first river you cross was the river from death to life. You remember that day when you said yes to Christ and you had to leave behind the world of sin and death and you came into this Christian life and you didn't know it, you didn't understand it, it, did, it was, sounded a little funny even, it just uh, didn't all make sense but something about it just drew your heart and let you know that God was in it and you crossed over. Then another river that we have to cross is the river of faith, the river where we have to learn to trust God with things that we can't see, things that we can't control. It's easy to trust God with the things you can control. When you're in the, in the nursery playing with the Tonka truck, you're going fast, right? But that's one thing, and getting out on the highway in Houston, that's a whole other level. And the same God that wants you to drive the Tonka truck wants you to drive the monster truck. But you have to decide, am I going to cross that river? I want to be like Abram. I want to be a crosser. I don't want to find any place in my life where I said, no, that's too scary. I can't do that. I want to be a crosser that says, if God go with me, then I can't fail. Come on, somebody. If God takes this step with me, I'm going to succeed. I'm going to be blessed. And maybe tonight you're at a crossing point where God is saying, come over. Come over here. Take this step of faith. And you're not so sure about it. Tonight God says, I want you to be known as Abram the Hebrew. Isaac the Hebrew. I want you to be known as one who faced the challenges. Who said, if I stay where I'm at, I'll never see the promised land. I've got to make this step of faith. So they come to Abram the Hebrew. Now Abram could have at this moment said, look, this is not my problem. This is Lot's problem. This is your problem. Abram was a good man fighting a good fight and he saw an opportunity to do good. And ultimately, what, what God requires of us is to take the opportunities he gives us to do good. Lo que Dios requiere de Abraham y requiere de nosotros es que tomemos las oportunidades que él nos da para hacer el bien. How many of you have opportunities to do good? Yeah. Good men fight the good fight and take 
opportunities to do good. The Bible tells us to trust God and do good. La Biblia nos dice, confía en Dios y haz el bien. Say that with me. Trust God and do good. Now, let me, let me unpack that for you a little bit. All right, why trust God and do good? You have to do these two things together. Confía en Dios y haz el bien. Many times when we come to a problem, we think, I have a problem right now, so I can't do good right now. Muchas veces cuando tenemos un problema en nuestra vida, pensamos, yo tengo este problema, yo no puedo hacer el bien ahorita. What does God say? Trust me and do good. I haven't connected yet. You see, we like to say, well, Lord, I'll do good when I'm not fighting this fight. When the giant is dead, when I have his head in my hand, then I'll do some good. Right now, I can't afford it. Right now, I don't have time for it. Right now, I have to worry about my own problems. Right now, I'm having a pity party, and it's in full swing, and I can't get involved in anything else. God said, you give me the problem. Trust me and go do the good that you can do. And this is the beauty of it. While you're doing the good, you start forgetting about the problem. You stop worrying about the problem because the problem is being handled by God who should have handled it to begin with. Say amen, somebody. So instead of worrying about it, trust God and do good. When you start to do good, you, you get into partnership with God. As long as all you can do is focus on your problem, you're not trusting God and you're not getting any good done. So you're parked, you're stuck. Listen, we don't put gas in parked cars. Listen, if I have a parked car, Hasn't been moved for two years. I don't go put gas in it. Why? Because it's not going anywhere. Well, listen, that gas is the anointing, and you are the car. And if you're not going anywhere, there's no need for the anointing. The anointing has a purpose. The fuel of the Spirit on your life has a purpose. So guess what? When you start to do good, you start to move in the direction of God's purpose. God starts to anoint that thing, and the anointing starts busting the yokes and starts breaking the chains, and you start to walk into freedom. You start to walk in the dimension of God's grace in your life. Tell your neighbor, trust God and do something. Tell them, do something good. Dile a tu vecino, haz algo. Haz el bien. Do good. Do something praiseworthy. You see, if you, if you get called on Friday night, they tell you that um, your son got locked up and next morning is the food distribution at Kingsway Church. What should you do? Show up at food distribution. If they tell you on, on uh, 
Friday morning that you have to show up at the doctor's office because you have a, a disease. What should you do on Sunday morning? Show up to church and volunteer. But, you know, not everybody does that. We like to walk around like, I'm useless now. Why? My son's in jail. Well, you're not in jail. <laughs> Come on, somebody. Well, I just lost my job. But you didn't lose your life. You can't walk around like my life is over until this problem is over, my life is over. No, you got to decide this problem is not going to stop me from living. This fight is not going to stop me from living. I can trust God and do good. And when I'm doing good, the anointing is flowing. And so Abram decides there's an opportunity to do good. Lot doesn't deserve it. Sodom doesn't deserve it. But I don't do good because people deserve it. I do good because I do everything I do for the glory of God. What am I telling you? Sometimes you might get an opportunity to do good for people that you don't like. People that burned you. You say, why should I turn around and help them with that flat tire after what they did to me last week? But you see, we don't do good for men. We do it unto the Lord. Amen. Say amen, somebody. Amen. So let's read on. Verse 13 gives us part of the strategy. We see that he's doing good, and then we see there that he has allies. You see that word allies? Right at the end of the verse, underline that. Let me ask you, who are your allies? If you're fighting a spiritual fight, you can't fight alone. Si usted tiene una guerra espiritual, usted no puede pelear solo. Necesita alianzas espirituales. You need spiritual alliances, spiritual allies. It doesn't do you any good if you're in financial trouble to build alliances with people who don't tithe and don't give and don't share. It doesn't do you any good if you're in relationship issues to deal with people who build ally, uh, alliances with people who have walked out of every relationship they've ever been in and never tried to heal anything. That alliance isn't going to help you. You need alliances with people who can fight the good fight with you. Don't, if, if you're sick, don't call somebody that's going to tell you, yeah, my aunt died of that. They told her she was sick like that, and two weeks later, she was in the grave. We had her funeral and everything. You got to find some people that say, you know what? Raise your hands right now. We're going to pray, and we're going to cast that devil out in Jesus' name. Come on, somebody. You got to have some alliances with people who know how to fight the good fight, even especially if you don't know how to fight it. Find somebody that has been where you have been. 
That's why they went and found a crosser. Go and find somebody that has faced this river and crossed over, and you say, look, I have seen that you conquered divorce, you conquered sickness, you conquered financial lack. Pray for me, teach me, share something with me, and build an alliance with people who have crossed over so they can tell you, look, this thing can be done. This demon can be licked. This devil doesn't have to win. Come on, somebody. You have to have alliances of the Spirit. The book of Exodus, the Lord rebuked Israel because, uh, pardon, the book of uh, Isaiah, the Lord rebuked Israel, and he said to them, you have made alliances, but not of my Spirit. You have, you have created partnerships. And in that case, Israel had gone and made an alliance with Egypt. The spirit can't make an alliance with the flesh. He said, you've made alliances, but not of my spirit. And so tonight, God says, find the right allies. People who know the word, people who know how to pray, people who trust God. One time I was doing an a, a interview for credentials, and, and the man that I was interviewing, he was, I think, offended that I was younger than he was. And he said, I don't even know why I have to do this. He said, there's people who can't even read who have, who've been ordained. So he was basically suggesting that he... He was better than them. I said, the reason that they got ordained wasn't because they could read. It was because they trusted the word. Even when somebody else had to read it to them, they trusted the word. They learned the word. You see, if you, if you depend upon your own skill, your own ability or the skill or strength of somebody else, it's not going to be enough. The alliance has to be built with someone who knows the word, trusts the word, Amen. who believes the word, who can discern. Somebody that can tell you, you're wrong. I'm going to find a second opinion. <laughs> what do you mean I'm wrong? <laughs> you need that person in your life more than anybody else. Alliances of the Spirit of God. And then you read on verse 14. Listen, when Abram heard that his relative had been taken captive, he let out his trained men. Say, trained men. Not only did Abram have alliances, but he had trained men. What does that tell us about Abram? It meant that he was ready for peace and ready for war. Say this with me. I'm ready for peace and I'm ready for war you know every time we get to talking in the United States about our military power there's people who want us to not have military strength not have a strong army not have strong defenses the best way to prepare for peace is to be ready for war Abram had a decision long time before Lot came into the picture I will be ready for war that's why you don't see him panicking. You don't see him flinching. You don't see him wringing his hands. He's not saying, oh my Lord, what am I going to do now? He is ready. Why? Because he has been preparing 
for war. You and I have to live a life where we are constantly in the word, constantly in prayer, constantly in, in worship. Why? Because we have to be ready for war. You don't know what war might come into your life next week, but you can be ready for it. You can be prepared. Abraham se preparó para la guerra. Tenía hombres entrenados para la guerra. No se esperó a entrenar el momento que llegó el problema. Most of the time, listen, Abram didn't wait till the bombs were dropping to start training. But that's most, most of the time, that's what we do. We wait until the bombs are falling to say, oh, I better go get ready. You got to have your boots on. Say amen, somebody. Amen. Be ready at all times, in every season. Estar listo en todo ambiente, en todo momento, en toda época del tiempo. And then we read that he was, in verse 15, he divided his forces against them by night, he and his servants, and he defeated them. Now listen, I want you to notice this because Abram was outnumbered. Have you ever been outnumbered? He was outnumbered. He still went to battle. Why? He was ready, but he didn't trust in his readiness. He trusted in God. Because if he trusted in his readiness, he would say, okay, I have 300 men, they're ready, but against thousands, he can't do it. So now he has to take a step of faith. Faith isn't just going to battle when you have the right numbers. Faith is going to battle in spite of the numbers. In spite of the report. In spite of the statistics. And maybe tonight you feel outnumbered. Or outwitted. Or outarmed. And you say, I don't know if I can fight this fight. God says, if I'm with you, you're not outnumbered. If I'm with you, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And if God be for me, you know these, come on, then who can be against me? So he's outnumbered, but he's, he is trusting in God. And we see there, it, it's like, it, the, it's, it's amazing how the Holy Spirit writes the Bible in understated ways. And he defeated them. Oh, is that all? He went into a battle outnumbered, outranked, outtrained, and he defeated them. You know, that's what God wants to do in your life. He wants to just give you the victory. In fact, the Bible tells us in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, but thanks be to God. You know what? Go find that in your Bible before I read that. I want you to see that with your, with your eyes right there. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. But thanks be to God who usually 
Thanks be to God who sometimes, thanks be to God who mostly, what does it say? Thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph. That word triumph literally means to grant one complete success. But thanks be to God who always grants us complete success. Where? Where? In Christ. I want you to look at the battle that's raging in front of you and just know this already. I will have complete success. I am going to triumph. Victory belongs to me. Where is this victory? Where is this success? Where is this triumph? It's in Christ. When you have your faith in Christ, you will have the victory. Take that to heart. Grab onto that tonight. Like a drowning man that grabs a rescuer. Grab onto this word tonight. God says you have a battle to fight, but this battle, though you might be outnumbered, though you might have you might have less resources and less strength than your enemy, if I'm with you, I'm going to lead you into success. You're going to win this fight. Say that with me. I'm going to win this fight. One more time. I'm going to win this fight. One more time. Seal the deal. I'm going to win this fight. Would you stand up with me and just go to war right now in prayer? Do what you know how to do. I know you're facing the world, the flesh, and the devil. You're facing fear and doubt and anxiety and worry. You're facing challenges. You're facing even opportunities that you don't dare take. Tonight, God says, fight the good fight. I'm cheering you on. This is a praiseworthy thing. This is a noble thing. When you think, I'm not getting anything out of this. I'm not getting anywhere. I'm not succeeding. I feel like I'm just treading water. I feel like I'm just spinning my wheels. God says, don't give up the fight. It's going to be profitable in the end. You're going to win this thing. Because I will give you the victory. Come on, there's a spirit of victory in this house. Just raise your hands to the Lord. Just receive the courage and faith to fight the fight of faith. Just remember that if God be for you, who can be against you? Tonight, you have to cross over. If you haven't been, tonight become a crosser. Cross over by faith. Believe God. Believe Him to show up.